When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to episode 34 of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporters Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and on this episode, we are joined by the it girl of the season, 27-year-old Swede Alicia Vikander. She's the talk of the town for her beauty and style, for her rumored relationship with Michael Fassbender, with whom she'll soon be seen in Derek C. and France's The Light Between Oceans, and above all, for her acting in two 2015 films, Ex Machina and The Danish Girl. She was a professional-level ballerina who then almost went to law school before breaking through as an actress in Sweden in the 2009 film Pure. Her rise to international prominence was kickstarted in 2012 with her starring performance in Denmark's entry for the Best Foreign Language Film Oscar, A Royal Affair, and around the same time, her memorable supporting turn in Joe Wright's Anna Karenina. This year, though, she exploded in a very Jessica Chastain-esque kind of way, with seven films in release stateside. Three of them weren't widely seen, Seventh Son, Son of a Gun, and Testament of Youth. Two of them were somewhat disappointing, The Man from Uncle and Burnt, but two of them have put her on the map to stay. The British sci-fi thriller Ex Machina, in which she plays an android with artificial intelligence, and The Danish Girl, in which she plays the early 20th century Danish painter Gerda Wegener, whose husband Einar became one of the first known recipients of sex reassignment surgery. For her performance in the former, she won the Best Supporting Actress LA Film Critics Association Award and was nominated for the Best Supporting Actress Golden Globe and BAFTA Awards. For her performance in the latter, she was nominated for the Best Actress Golden Globe Award, won the Best Supporting Actress Screen Actors Guild and Critics' Choice Awards, and is now nominated for the Best Supporting Actress Oscar. By all indications, Vikander is someone who's here to stay, so I encourage you to take the next 50 minutes to learn a little bit about her. I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed doing so. Let's go to the conversation. First of all, thank you very much for fitting this in. I know no, you're a busy course. lady right now. <laughs> so before we talk about Danish Girl, I just wanted to kind of go back as we do in every one of these episodes and just recount for people how we got here. And to begin with, did you go to the movies as a kid growing up in Sweden? Was it a big part of your life? Um, yeah, it was, but it was uh, very much of a treat. I remember to go to the movies um, um, so I did that occasionally but I also have a big memory of especially nowadays when you don't see any uh, rental like yes. stores for VHS 
or DVDs. Yes. Um, that was one of these things. I remember I had like a little clip card and my mom and I went and you, you could get a good prize if you rented like three or five right. movies <laughs> in for one week. And yeah, so that was something that we did very often. And you mentioned your mother. Show business runs in the Vikander family, right? I mean, can you talk about what she does and what you witnessed growing up? Um, well, yeah, my, my, my mom's a stage actress and my dad's a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can get use of both right. <laughs> in what I'm doing now. Um, um, so so um, um, I, when I grew up, uh, I spent a lot of time at the theatre watching her work. And when we couldn't find a babysitter, I normally came with her quite often, which was, um, I think... The theater was a very lovely place for a child to be at um, because you were surrounded by grown-ups. I remember as a kid, you know, normally you were in a in a room when you maybe went to one of your parents' friends' dinner party, and you were treated as a kid. At a, you know, you sat at the kids' table or whatever. Uh, but at the theater, because of the nature of acting, um, the, the grown-ups actually play, mm-hmm. and it was nice to be a child there because you were always kind of included. I even have memories of being in the rehearsals and. I was even surprised being just maybe, I don't know, seven or eight, but suddenly they asked me what I thought. (laughs) And uh, I'm sure I was very nervous, but it was that thing that they kind of opened up and included you. And you sort of caught the bug, right? Because from what I've read, as early as six, you wanted to get out there and audition, right? And you did, and you were in front of audiences yourself. Um, yeah, well, it was um, at, at the theater where my mom worked. They had this, uh, I don't really remember this, of course, because I was so young, but it was um, a note that they were going to, not at the, the theater, but at the opera house, they were going to do an audition for children to be part of a musical. And some of the other children of the other actors at the theater was going to go and my mum thought that I was just maybe a bit too young, so she said no. Uh, and then apparently I kind of locked myself up in a room and, <laughs> and screamed until she said, okay, you can go too. Um, and, and then um, I, I was one of the kids that was selected, so I did that. I, and that I, was like a three-year thing, right? That's a big Yeah, commitment. I mean, it was, um, it was a Swedish musical, which is probably one of the biggest musicals in, in our country, actually made by the same people who did both Chess and Mamma Mia, yeah, yeah, probably maybe the Americans know, but it was about the Swedish immigrants who went to America in in in, uh, in the nineteenth century. Um, so yeah, we we started that, and I was the youngest of all. I think it was four girl parts, like the the main characters' children, um, and then they uh, it did so well, so they continued for another three years, and so I managed to actually grow and. And, and jump and become like the older part right. for each, each year. So how did dance enter the picture? Because it seems like for a lot of your growing up years, it was sort of a back and forth between these. But dance became a very serious part of your life. Yeah, I, 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 was, I was nine when I went to um, the Royal Swedish Ballet School and started it. I mean, it all just began. I, I think I was like three or four when I got one to the Nutcracker for the first time, and my mum thought it and that after uh, 
the break between first and second act, I would probably be too tired and wanted to go home. But I think I, I mean, like a four-year-old kid, I, I was most, the dancing was one thing, but I think I mostly wanted to wear a pink tutu. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes sense. But once you got into the dance stuff, it became so serious that let's just put it in perspective for people that at 15, you were off living by yourself, right? And going hardcore. Um, yeah, because um, the, um, the ballet school does exist both in Stockholm, which is the capital in Sweden, mm-hmm. and the second biggest town, Gothenburg, where I grew up. Um, but the last three years is only in Stockholm, so um, you had to apply, and if you got in... I had, of course, seen the girls who were the years above me. If, if the girls in their classes who got in, they, of course, had to move. And we... I Sometimes now when I see 15-year-old or meet 15-year-old... Um, boys and girls, I was like, wow, I, that's quite young. It really <laughs> to, is. To, to move. But I think, and I spoke to my mum about it too, but I think because I had seen the older um, classes gone through the same thing, we were kind of prepared for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and it was also, uh, it took up, I, I really, I really wanted to go. And then also when you actually went, this, I mean, you spend most of your times at school, really. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I read six days starting 6.30, it got to the point where it's like so physically and mentally demanding that, you know, it must have taken a toll in a way, right? Yeah, I. Uh, it was very long days and many days. <laughs> uh, I, but I remember that it was very important to me, though, when I left because it's, it's, so, it's so easy to just become a part of that world. And I always felt like you need to have perspective. And so I, I, I promised myself when I actually moved up that I was going to try and make friends who were not in the <laughs> ballet world, even right. though I only had that Saturday afternoon and Sunday off, right. really. Um, but I, I managed uh, to do that. And some of the friends that I met then are still my my, my very, very close friends today. So uh, I tried to actually go out and do other things. <laughs> and Yeah. And then um, it, it was actually a good thing. I, I became a very uh, I don't know if they know that at the school, but we were a few people who got friends with a guy who had the keys um, to the school, and we actually had beds in our locker rooms. So sometimes, if we did go out and, and night or stayed up at some friend's house, I actually went and slept for a few hours in my locker room before going <laughs> up to do ballet class. Was dance in any way helpful in terms of preparing you to become an actress? I think I I, I haven't gone to theatre school, so for me that is kind of my my education mm-hmm. and I think that maybe if I had the idea that I was leaving ballet and that was probably the toughest ex- like choice I had done then maybe still even now I don't know because it was so many years and knowing that if you give it up it, it's not really like you can walk back because Why it's such you? a physical um, I think I, I realized that I didn't want to live my life as a dancer and I now in a, I'm in such awe watching any of the dancers up there on stage if I go to the ballet myself. So I think um, even if it felt like I left it now th- then and I, I thought, no, I want to act instead, with you know, throughout the years I've realised that it's that's all, already what I did in ballet school. I realised already then that what I enjoyed the most was the emotion that I wanted to bring to each movement and how, how I kind of, how, even if it was an abstract piece, I always started with whatever emotional story mm-hmm. I had in my head trying to get those movements out. So it was always there. And they're very connected, I think. That's so interesting. And I guess let's just put this in some context. In Sweden, it's not a huge 
film industry, right, at all. And there's not many people who have gone on to careers from Sweden internationally, right? Everybody knows, I guess, Garbo and Bergman and yeah. recently Numi Rapace, but not a lot of people, right? No, I think in one way, Numi was probably like the first um, example that I had really seen in, in my life growing up. It was almost like that wasn't even a, it wasn't even a thought that you could do it. Because, I mean, Garbo and Ingrid Bergman, that it's was just... That, that, and that was also like, you know, that, I read that in the history right. books in school and it felt like a fairy tale, you know. So what was the greatest ambition that you could allow yourself to have? Well, my dream was that I I maybe wanted to be on... I, I wanted to be at the Royal Theatre mm-hmm. and, do, and do plays mm-hmm. and then to be one of those actresses who could then maybe every second or third year do some good um, 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 interesting feature film or being in a um, um, a more in-depth TV series mm-hmm. that was kind of um, the peak of what I um, of what I dreamed of was it sort of just to cover your bases and make sure that you had a fallback option that you applied to law school of course by watching my mom I've, I've been able to like been attracted to this whole world I've seen her passion but she's always also wanted me to know and introduced me to see how tough it is it's hard to get work and it's long hours and it's a, it's it's a you need to have the passion but it's a, a tough profession mm-hmm. then when i didn't get into um theater school for me it was that thing of the unsurety of living in a small country where there's not much work i thought that the way to do it is to go to theater school and then through that get a chance to get into um um one of the big operas or theaters mm-hmm. so i I still had found out that I really loved filmmaking and had made several shorts uh, during the, those two, three years when I had applied to um, theatre school mm-hmm. and w- worked with friends. And I, th- I met a lot of people in the theatre and in the film world who were producers. And I asked them what their background was. And, and all of them, most of them said that they had been through law and that that was what they had done at university. So, And then I think, like... <laughs> Any nineteen-year-old, like I didn't really know. I was like, right. "What am I gonna do now?" <laughs> I thought, I thought I quit ballet to try that. That didn't work, apparently. But I'm so so. It's that thing of trying to reach. I think you know that's how it is to be a late Just teenager. Out, yeah. yeah, and and I was like, I, "University sounds like a good thing," right. uh, <laughs> and 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 I I I, I liked to read so I, I got in and thought that that and I think also that's something that I still feel like and I think it's a good thing also in acting to always be open to do other things yeah. because it's also there that you gather experience and meeting people that you maybe haven't met before in your little circle to always gather you with more tools to be able to do what I love yeah, yeah. I mean I think I forget if it was Strasbourg or somebody was like, you can't have a life on screen if you don't have a life off screen. So it seems like it's important to have things to draw from. But for you, it all really seems to have started to change with the movie Pure. Is that my pronounce? Is that correct? <laughs> well, uh, the, the real pronunciation Pure. is Till det som är vackert. Okay. Right. So that's, I, a I'm not even try. <laughs> that's the Swedish title, right. which is not just a translation of that word. It's right. a, big, a longer sentence. A longer thing. So this is a movie that was perhaps not seen widely outside of the country, but was really well received there. And you received the Swedish equivalent of the Best Actress Oscar. And it was a complex character. I guess your first lead in a film. Why was that so important? Yeah, my important? first feature. First feature, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So what did you take away from the experience of doing it and how much did it change things afterwards? A lot. I was actually on the phone with Lisa Langsett, the writer and director, just two days ago. We did also a second film in Sweden together, and I hope to work with her again. Um, uh, and she was a great role model, I would say. I was reading, but she was only beginning of her 30s, and uh, she had written an extremely brave, quite daring script. And I don't think in Sweden I had... I think as a young girl, I just hadn't seen... The, a lot of roles in TV or films, you know, in general, in the big aspect in the world, to see such a raw, quite dirty and gritty and complex young girl character. And I think I kind of saw it, I got terrified and excited reading it because I kind of thought that this might... It's hard to say, but I had a weird feeling of feeling that I was going to go somewhere else, start school, and I was like, maybe this, this is... This might be just the role where I could... You can actually show a lot. Right. It's a lot of range in this part. And I think she took me into five auditions. Oh, my God. She just, <laughs> yeah, I mean, she knew that I hadn't really done any feature right. films. And she just wanted to be sure. We've talked about this. And she was really <laughs> tough. Um, and, but she also said that, apparently, I, I was able to progress. Because I hadn't worked with film in that sense. So I, I think she wanted to take me in and see how much I could learn. So in one way, that was now when I haven't been to school, my work has been, of course, my, my way of of getting experience. Can you just tell folks a little bit about this character, this young woman that you play? Um, she's a woman who's kind of lower middle class, who's had a mum who has a um, bit of a, well, psychological issues and grown up and haven't have finished high school, doesn't really have any job, is kind of outside of the society. And um, um, and one day, this is just told in the beginning, she has been on YouTube and she mostly just uh, aware of pop culture and hip hop. And on YouTube, she comes across a piece of Mozart, which high, it's, a way, it's a certain high culture that she's never been exposed to. And she just has a bit of a religious experience almost. And she's just now, she's found a way from her dirty background, she feels to something more beautiful. Yeah. And she, she tells a bit of a white lie to get a job as a receptionist at the concert hall and then it's a cast journey and becomes a bit of a thriller yes yes now could you have been happy if your career had at that point remained forever after in Scandinavia or was it always important to you to see what you could do beyond nope I didn't know I, <laughs> my dream was still then to work. I mean, I remember that I had some calls or my wish was still to get on stage. Right. Um, it was not until maybe a year after that when my, um, and that was for a Danish film. So that was for me, like taking the big international <laughs> step. My um, agent called me and said that I, I was going to try for this Danish film. I thought it was a mistake because, of course, I didn't know Danish. <laughs> uh, and then around that time, I guess it's because of internet too. This mm-hmm. is also realizing, I think, I've seen a change. Numi kind of broke the seal and mm-hmm. make, opened it up. But it feels like the entire, not every, I mean, every industry is becoming more global and then the film industry too, and because of um, uh, tools and, um, and 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 the ability of uploading things online, like she told me that I could do a self tape, and I had only gone to auditions in a room with a casting director and reading in front of a camera, and I didn't know that you could do that, and I was like, and you can actually send it to another <laughs> country in English, right, right. So that was like a whole. I, I didn't know that that was 
possibility before that. I've heard a funny story, if you wouldn't mind sharing, about this first exposure to America. <laughs> because the part didn't pan out, but it was still a memorable experience. And this was Snow White and the Huntsman? Yes. The casting director had seen Pure and had a little, um, I think, audition. So I came to London. Uh, and I was just there for a day and did a shoot. And I remember that I sat on a, a Starbucks and I got a call. People thought that I was in a breakup with my boyfriend or something <laughs> because I cried so much. And that was because they told me, like, in three days, you're going to get on a flight to L.A. <laughs> and I'd never been. I'd never been on, like, a business class flight. I was, like, calling my friends and family the whole way. I arrived here. I was at the um, Hilton close to Universal oh, yeah. and I remember that I was looking down and I was like mom I'm actually not going to the, the, the fun park I'm going to go to the other side I'm going to go into the actual studio tomorrow and I called and I was like I had to show my passport four times just to get in uh, and I, I even took a photo of my like um, the, 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 the pass that you get yeah. the Universal pass <laughs> to get on the line yeah I yeah. have that still right. somewhere saved as a photo and I thought you know I kind of just in my head I was like this is just too crazy and at least I got to go to this do this screen test and it was about 60, 70 people in the crew which oh is God. for a casting yeah. that is more than what we have in a crew yeah right 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 uh, back <laughs> home and I was like so I was like it feels like I'm pretending it's like I can tell this to my grandkids so the feeling of how it how it felt to be in Hollywood <laughs> for a day but Britain was more easily accessible right who was at the bright of the attention of Joe Wright? Because the one that happened next, I think, was Anna Karenina. Um, yeah, I I was shooting. Um, yeah, I just finished a, a royal affair, and just before that, or during that, I had been in London. And he had seen he had seen Pure, and because it had one of those from that went to film festivals yeah, yeah. and had been around a bit, but just in very much the you know cinema world. Mm -hmm. and, uh, so he had seen that, and I had met him while shooting a royal affair. Uh, on a little chat um, and I remember that I walked in and watched him in the edit doing the last scene of Hannah and I thought it was so cool <laughs> that action sequence is right. really amazing right. just the fact that it was, they were editing in a theatre mm -hmm. I'd only mm -hmm. seen like you do it on a small right, screen right, right. so I was like this is how they do it <laughs> Hollywood uh, yeah. yeah and I was so and I was so nervous but we talked about the book and I don't uh, yeah it's 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 sweet now because he's you know I met Joe a few weeks ago and I mean I was just I choked a lot to be able to talk in English then and because this was your first English language yeah. film I had already got Seventh Son by this point okay but that filmed a year yeah it's, the it's weird how all, the yeah. order of things happen but um, but yes it ended up being the first English film that I shot and how had you learned English everyone in Sweden speaks quite good English because yeah. you learn it in school from okay. like age 9, 10 and we don't dub so it's a second language that we learn and then I think because we are exposed to television right, and film right, right. you hear it but if you've only stood in class talking for an hour or trying to talk about a subject that you've learned it's not the same thing as trying to be you in a conversation right. and it's almost become so especially what I think when you talk about emotion and about thoughts about work it was a big struggle because you know, the complexity of things that I wanted to explain just became, like, simplified right. in a way that just didn't feel like me right. anymore. Right. And so I think that was 
that has been that's the biggest obstacle I think of trying to be get fluent in any language. One last Karenina question was that this concept from when you signed up to when it happened changed significantly, right? I mean, you thought you were going to Russia, from what I understand, right? Yeah, I think we all were, and we were actually. Um, <laughs> Joe took me because he knew I had a dance background right. and he asked me if I wanted to join him in his um, Cedar Lobby who did uh, the choreography in our film and I came to um, um, Amsterdam first with them and we uh, and, and Brussels and we did it like a week of rehearsals and we all were planned to go to Russia and then he was like one morning uh, called my hotel room and was like come down to the garden I'll, I'll have something uh, to show you <laughs> and this was like I don't know, 10 weeks before shoot. It's cutting it close. And then, and then just yeah. took up this computer and was like, this is now what we're going to do. We're just going to not go to Russia anymore. And we've done this in two weeks and now we're going to put it all in a theater. And I thought, I, I must say, I thought it was an extremely brave and, and interesting uh, and, and, and wonderful decision because it's been some several adaptations and they had even found themselves in Russia going to sets and they were like yeah it's already three Anna Kreninas that has already been shot here (laughs) and (laughs) so I I, I going back to Garbo right yeah I love that dare to put it um, in a very different world and context so if doing a film in English was a challenge how about doing a film in Danish I mean Royal Affair you get the role despite the fact that you've never spoken at that time, this language. No, I had actually my 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 friend in Sweden. His mom is um, Danish Swedish. Okay. So um, she actually recorded all the lines on her iPhone. So I sat there like, like a parrot, trying to just like. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, the 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 languages are similar, and yeah. if you read it, um, if you read it, you get a good sense of being able to get most words. But it's right. just they have a very. Let me say it strange accent. <laughs> that made me it made it totally impossible for me. I'd right. never been to Denmark for to get and we actually spoke English most of the time when I came, but then because they are similar to just learn to teach my ear to be able to hear the difference and to learn how to just pronounce these <laughs> weird <laughs> sounds myself. Right. Uh, I had about eight weeks in Copenhagen and it's uh, an amazing and tough language coach. Wow. That was the first time that I became aware of you through that film and I think probably for many people who went on and got this Oscar nomination and the question that I have is the story itself is apparently known by everyone in Denmark but outside of Denmark nobody knows about it so for you were you familiar with it already how did you immerse yourself in it and I and, yeah. actually knew about you it. did and not because I mean everyone in Denmark apparently reads about this in school and because right. it's probably I've even had it's like the most exciting story so the teachers kind of uses three weeks just to <laughs> you know um, indulge in all, all right. the details about this story but it's because it's it's um it's a Swedish author who did a book called the royal physician um, that is based on this story that was one of my favorite books and even though it was told from a very like my character Caroline Mathilde is is not described in a, the, the best of ways <laughs> I must say that it's a much more in from the from the king's perspective right. in his head uh, but I knew about this triangle and by the politics behind it so I knew what a meaty and great story it was when I when I came there for the audition and we're able to find from what I've seen through Amazon some other information that was am- I mean, <laughs> that's um, pretty cool yeah, uh, again the Am- internet Amazon is amazing <laughs> the amount of information and things you right. can find there and it, it was actually Nikolai who called me up like a late night in Copenhagen when I was there prepping he was like go online I found this he had a um, 
um, a professor in Denmark who had given him a tip about this. And it was not really a book. It was just like a gathering of photocopies that um, a professor in England he had a passion for the, this story with Caroline Matilde, how she left Britain and had over years trying to gather her personal letters that she sent to her family. So suddenly I sat there with this woman who must lived 300 years ago and suddenly when when you thought that maybe the fear of playing a real life character was kind of taken away back a bit because it was 300 years ago and right. no one knew her but suddenly I actually sat there and felt like I got to know her mm-hmm. and I was utterly blown away how how it felt like a language that could have been a girl from from now right. and she kind of explained she first of all she wrote in four languages at the age of 18 even I thought that maybe this was a bit of a blue-eyed princess mm-hmm. he must have been young and fell in love mm-hmm. with an older man that's and super. suddenly when I got these letters I was like but that's not the case yeah. And also how she described how she knew when she left, she was like, I wouldn't shed a tear in front of you and I, I know that I will never meet you again. And I'm going to do my duty. I'm going to be the Queen of Denmark. And then also that we know how tragic the relationship was mm-hmm. with the king and that she always knew, tries to put it in good perspective for her family mm-hmm. and her letters and they kind of fight to keep up a good facade. Um, and also her expressions of she can't, she couldn't express her enlightened thoughts during this time and how she kind of sneaked those in and how also as a woman she described that she wrote to her uncle how she just wished that she was a man she would just go down to the stables and get on a horse and ride down to Europe (laughs) and I just you know it gave me so much um, you know meat yeah yeah that's amazing so we're basically coming up on this crazy year of 2015 that you had, but I want to first ask you something that apparently started, in a sense, the day after you finished Royal Fair, which is that you are the fashion person that people are looking to at the moment. You are photographed everywhere, shown everywhere. But my understanding is that the first time that Couture was sort of in the picture at all was right after Royal Fair. Yeah, I, um, so we, we were in Czech Republic. Uh, and we had finished the shoot, we ended up at a, a British very dirty bar called George and the Dragon in Prague. And we stayed there to probably 7 a.m. in the morning. And we were going to get on this flight to do some press for the film already the day after. So we actually went straight from the after party to the airport there. Me and my director, Maz, everyone <laughs> sitting, trying to keep our eyes open. Right. But we're thrilled because it was such a fun shoot and we were gonna, I was gonna go to Cannes for the first time in my life. And I was like, finally gonna, gonna see this. Right. I've only seen photos and pictures. So we arrive and then in the car and I was like, okay, I'm just, I just need a little nap. I just need to go and sleep. And then they call and said, do you know what? We have um, two tickets um, for the premiere tonight, for the gala premiere and uh, you and Nikolai can, can go together. Um, and we look at each other like, sure, I'll be your date and you'll be my date. <laughs> and they were like, yeah, you, you need to have a tux and a gown. And I was like, well, I, I don't have that. <laughs> you know, that's not in my bag. Right, right. Um, and then actually my, my, uh, my now agent, who I'd kind of just met uh, around that time, invited me to go up to the Valentino. Uh, they had a room where all these dresses were. And I remember that they had they asked me what you know to, to pick a dress to try 
and I just couldn't talk because I was like, I'm just good with anything, you know. <laughs> do you tell me what right, to right. wear? <laughs> and then I got really, so I tried two dresses, and they were like the most pretty things I'd ever seen. I mean, it's you kind of the first time to see it up front and to see kind of the craft and hours to put these little buttons on and I think it took 10 minutes just to get my dress on um, and then I actually went to the premiere and I did the mistake which I learned from then on I had a pair of shoes and I took my feet out of them and then I the film was over and I mean my feet must have grown like two centimeters it was like Cinderella there was no way my right. heel was going to get back there. And my gown was so long and I felt like, oh, my God, maybe they will see me. I can't just lift my gown. So I kind of sat on this little piddle stool and then someone had to run and get new <laughs> shoes for me because I was so embarrassed to, like, you know, be ashamed that they would be ashamed of me walking out of the theater with no shoes on. So from those <laughs> humble beginnings has come this side career with uh, fashion on top of all this. It's amazing. I mean, yeah, it's still every time like now and at the side Nikolai Estes clothes right. or any of these amount, I mean it's like a piece of art right, right. it really and, and then of course I, 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 I'm very privileged I get to wear them one night and then I think actually they go to a museum somewhere <laughs> and being stored and going to probably be right, in an right. exhibition in you know several years Obviously, there are things that we're going to gloss over here along the way. Fifth Estate, The Testament of Youth, these were important projects. But I think that 2015, we just have to kind of, you know, remind people how packed. Now, maybe not all these were shot right next to each other. That's not how it always works. Maybe they were. But just to mention, Man from Uncle, Burnt, Ex Machina, Danish Girl. I think I am perhaps uh, forgetting... Well, Seventh Sun came out in January Yeah, it did. Okay. I mean, we thought Jessica Chastain had a lot of movies a few years ago when she had, you know, three or four. But it's got to have been, aside from the making of it and then the promotion of these and then the release of them and the whole thing, what has this year been like if you could kind of just... I think we counted. It's been like 65 days of press. (laughs) Are you you completely sick of... If you were doing a shot for every time you said certain words, we were talking about this last night. In one way, I think it's been a bit of a lucky... I don't know, because I... Maybe I, I had the time because some of these films, like even Ex Machina now meeting Alex, it's almost three years ago we won wow, the film for wow, the first wow. time. It's been a while. Mm-hmm. And to know that I, because I didn't have much experience, I kind of was able to gather some and feel without having to step out in a, the big aspect of doing press to the world, I was able to do some, some proper work and feel like I was finding my feet on the ground a bit and getting, I mean, just I remember when I walked into those rooms three years ago, I didn't know a soul mm-hmm. and it was quite tough going to these pockets you stood like in a corner with like I don't know anyone I bet. and then after just one or two years so you're like oh but these are some of them are my colleagues now right. and I know them and it's suddenly another kind of a bit more of a a calm that comes with you maybe and I think maybe it was good that I had I, I had matured and grown into the industry a bit before they actually came came out because it's been very overwhelming. It's been I can only yeah. imagine. Yeah. So let's touch upon these first briefly. Man from Uncle. This was sort of different than anything you'd done before in terms of size and and tone and everything, right? I mean, how did you feel about getting into comedy? Uh, terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> I think that that's the case with right. most people going into it the first time. And um, uh, well, I, I was a big fan of his previous films, Guy, Guy Ritchie, so I remember I was on a shoot in, um, 
for a film called Son of a Gun mm-hmm. um, in Australia, and I got on the Skype with him, and he just, he, you know, he just wanted to chat. He was such a calm, like, relaxed. He, well, he was the dude that I just <laughs> imagined he would be. Right, right. And that kind of calmed me down, because I told him about, I don't know if I can, and are you sure, and blah, blah, blah. And he was like, yeah, you seem cool. <laughs> and, you know, and that was all that he wanted. It was more about finding a, a good connection. Right. And that actually helped then on set because it was we got to know each other mm. and in that kind of space suddenly you felt a bit more relaxed and trying sure. things. Yeah. Ex Machina, how does a guy who's never made a film before, Alex Garland, convince you to do his movie? What was it that appealed to you about it? First of all, he's done quite a lot of films, even though he's not been directing. Oh, right. He's been working behind uh, several films, but um, yeah, he's an extraordinary first-time director. Right. Uh, and getting on the phone with him, I was actually there too, filming Sanamagana in Australia, <laughs> when I had read that script and I was like hyped. I don't think I've, I've ever jumped on a phone to my agents, probably in the middle of the night for them, and just said, okay, how? I'm here and I can't go to London. And, and I got on the phone with Alex and he's one of the most brightest and intelligent men. And he has such calm to him too. That kind of brings you to think, you, you believe that he knows what he's talking mm-hmm. about, which he is. And he gave you some good notes as far, once you were on the set making this that were important for you about um, Ava? Yeah, I mean, with that role, and I think that's why it's so interesting and why people are engaged is because there's the, the questions just never end. And how I could, what I attracted to me, I did a self-tape there in Australia for one of the, those long scenes mm-hmm. and that I send, and that was just my idea of whatever Ava was because it was a bit of a blank page it was not too many descriptions it was just a very very action based great dialogue mm-hmm. um, and that was the thing I think I, I came with thousands of questions like is she programmed is this a thought is she does she have a self conscious or does she or not <laughs> and where do I start and he was like well something came out when you did that self tape and it did right. it was just like a feeling of trying to find a physicality and, and play around with what my intentions were in that scene and he kind of almost we could talk a lot and we read a lot about about anything from AI science to just bio bio, like brain function and humans and see the differences and likenesses and all that but it all came down to that he was so much that director who wanted to give me support of trying. He gave, we talked a lot about how to engage, forget, because it's a thriller. Mm-hmm. It's certain beats that you need to get mm-hmm. for it to work because it, you know, it's a, it's um, that genre. So how, how to, how would you trust this girl or whatever it is? And, and, and he gave me a good note when we were rehearsing that when I was trying something which was not playing on the more, like sexually or female aspects, but on the very pure and innocent ones, then just everyone stops questioning her and instead just wants to protect her. Mm-hmm. So that was that thought kind of made me, you know, come up with a certain voice and a certain way, a certain way to move. And we talked about because I realized when I did the physicality that when I made her almost too pristine and too perfect, you started to question it, even though it was just like very. It was nothing wrong. A person could move like that. Right. But because it was so refined, people are much more complex and, and, and make, like, um, uh, you know, mistakes and hiccups. And, and, and that kind of made you think that she was a bit off. I mean, it was things like that. Oh, it's very interesting. And I know that you've had an interesting answer. There are some people, because she's sort of 
I guess what they call like a Rorschach test or whatever, you project your own thoughts onto her. Some people have come away and said that, oh, the film objectifies women, but you've had a good answer to that, which is that's Nathan. It has to be through his eyes, but that she becomes something else, right? Yeah, and also I, I think that the simple answer to it, it's, it's been wonderful to meet all the journalists coming in. It was almost a shock because I hadn't <laughs> talked so much about films. Right. People had just seen the film. Right. And some of them came in and, uh, you know, the, some, some people came in and was like, oh, it's very, um, um, you know, it's, it's not a good view of women. And someone else came in like high-fived and <laughs> thought it was great. And it was such different reactions. It right. all comes down to, do you believe that this thing has consciousness or not if you do then you suddenly could see a young girl trapped in a room by two men and then suddenly the 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 the, the idea of the film becomes very different mm-hmm. and i played around myself we never really there's been the endless question from people asking me what was your thought mm-hmm. or what was she tell me <laughs> and that's also the truth that even me and alex said let's not talk about that M- let's Just keep the ambiguity there even between us. That's so interesting. So with Danish Girl, when I heard you were doing this, I had to look it up and confirm that you weren't Danish because after a royal affair <laughs> and this, I'm it's like, a lot of people I started to doubt myself. <laughs> yeah. So how did you first hear from Tom Hooper and land this? And then the movie doesn't work if you and Eddie don't have some really special chemistry. And I wonder, before you were cast, was that tested or did it just work out nicely? No, I, um, I had heard about this script for quite a while. I even knew people who had been on board trying to get this film made. Um, so I had mostly heard about the, like, the, in a very distant way, about the Lily Elb story. Mm-hmm. So I was on the, on, on the tube in London, and I, I read in the newspaper that they had just released the um, news that Eddie Redmayne and Tom Hooper were paired up to do this film. And I was like, finally going to get this film made. I was like, oh my God, I'm really looking forward to seeing it. And, and then it was just two days after when my my agent called me up and said it's a very good second female role in this and you should have a read so I I did and that led on to me meeting Tom and doing a casting for him I think and leading on to yes I did have um, uh, what they call chemistry chemistry read yeah 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 Uh, (laughs) with (laughs) Eddie Uh, and I mean I, I knew he was an extraordinary actor but Eddie is just I mean we had a Q&A yesterday, probably one of our last for the film, and it was almost a bit sad because he's I've, he's such a down-to-earth and, mm-hmm. and one of the most wonderful just human beings. Yeah. So it was so easy to work with him. I think all actors are terrified because in films you sometimes have to walk on set and you met the person you're going to work with who's going to be your um, lifelong enemy or... Um, best friend or lover and you need to kind of get that on the second day and everyone's just like on their tiptoes and a bit nervous and I also now understand why people continue to work again with one another like with Donal it is suddenly a big relief when you already have a language with somebody even if it's very different roles totally. to work but we um, with Eddie was very easy and we also had th- almost three weeks of rehearsals which is a luxury That's that I great. never had and yeah. that is all down to Tom he, he really fought Aside from the script and having a slight familiarity, you're saying beforehand with this story, what more could you do as far as research and as far as even just being in the mindset during the making of it? I've heard there was even the art came into it in a Mm. sense. So maybe you can talk about that. Well, um, it was a bit of a shock for everyone, including me, because I, like most people, knew that. And now if you find something that you're like, wow, how come I didn't know about, first of all, 
um, gender confirmation surgery happening already in the 1920s or 30s. And I went online and I thought it was remarkable, this love story that these two women had uh, between them. And there wasn't that much information. A lot of it, we also learned, was not correct online. Mm-hmm. Probably has changed now, thank mm-hmm. God. But, uh, and, and, and Gail, uh, our producer, was actually a big source because she had had years of in different ways just gathered as much information that she showed so she had a treasure mm-hmm. of things to look into and then of course um for me to have a woman who um i was actually at the premiere in copenhagen just a few days ago wow. for danish girl and they the museum there is a new museum called ark and had um um gathered over the last four years from private collections 170 pieces of her work wow. So that was what I had been lucky enough to have photocopies of in preparation for this and to kind of get in the soul of somebody um, through their art and also their journey through life is quite obvious when you, when you see their work and totally. also how Lily kind of suddenly came into her life and became such a, 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 such a main uh, piece of her work and, and, and also finally, I mean, her, her art is pretty radical and pretty um, sexual as well and and to know that that was almost a hundred years back and not only what Lily together with her went on their journey but also as a working woman and being an artist and express herself in that way and being they were extremely pioneering Mm -hmm. Um, so that mixed with trying to get an emotional um, relationship to what they went through even though the people that I could meet going through the similar things people from the transgender community or their friends and family of course trying to put that in a context of it happened a hundred years ago when Gerda asked Einar to pose for the first time as a woman do you think that there's any chance that she consciously or subconsciously already suspected that Lily existed under there I think what drew me to this film the most was the love story that seems so I mean, it felt like these two were almost soulmates. And I can just, that's my own relation. You know, if you really think that you have a deep love for somebody, you also have a deeper understanding of of seeing Mm -hmm. that person. And now we again need to go back to that this is in a time when there's no reference of this. And that itself is amazing to know that they actually did go on this journey, not even having a language of really trying to explain Mm -hmm. to each other what they're going through. and what I loved was something that Lucinda has already put in the script because I think she was a struggling artist and it was she she found started to find her like muses muses her women and including Lily and Ulla and that's also when she started to become much bigger and quite successful and in both Denmark and later on in Paris and I love the idea of um, I saw her work and she does all these kind of. Um, um, portraits of people in the beginning but then when she starts to find her style is also when she starts to become very interesting and I think with any artist whatever you do when you really find your truth then people kind of seize that Mm -hmm. and I love the fact that Lily kind of just started to come through her paintings and it's almost like that that's the subconscious that we have including me coming out in the art that I do and sometimes I'm surprised what I find making up my stories and I was like oh that was close I didn't know that I had that inside of me mm-hmm. but it's apparently just been there and I so I kind of used that so I think that I felt like she probably for her also to always be so understand I think she had a deeper sense of knowing mm-hmm. the person that she loved and the fact that she stayed with 
Lily after Einar became Lily is a testament yeah. to that. It was not until the last year when when the last surgery had uh, one of the last surgeries has had gone through when when their marriage kind of um, what's the word for it in English separated Cancel. or yeah Cancel. Uh, it was, dissolved. It was, yeah dissolved yeah. because she was now a woman. Right. This movie has come out into a world that is already different from when you made it with. Caitlyn Jenner and Transparent and it's sort of the issue is top of mind for everybody now but your own situation has changed a lot since when you started to make this movie you're now increasingly somebody that people know or recognize and with that comes good things and bad things it sounds like you've gotten wonderful next projects coming up maybe on the other hand of things you maybe get photographed when you don't want to sometimes or ask questions that you don't want to answer sometimes I imagine that it's changed things a lot so Basically, what's your state of mind here, you know, as this season of insanity winds to an end and you are now an Oscar nominee, and I imagine life's probably forever different. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting being out here, because still, when I'm back in Europe, it feels... First of all, I've been working so much, so maybe I just haven't been out much, but there I feel like I'm still very much, like... I don't really feel like I'm recognized. It's a bit different in this city, I think, because of the work. But, of course, I I, I knew when I knew that it was several films going to come out this year. And you never know what they're going to turn out to be or how they're going to work. I didn't hadn't seen many of them in final, um, um, uh, the final version. Uh, so it all depends on how, how they go and how, how they work. But So I think I, in one way, thought that I was somewhat prepared of knowing of course that I was going to do a lot of press and what whatever that means but I think it was a bit of a shock because it is something so quite you know surreal and unreal and and it's also difficult for you to kind of for yourself wanting to pin out if something felt not a bit strange if someone took a photograph of you and you actually didn't notice it was a friend who told you two days later that when you were walking that street that day someone there watching you and even it's sometimes it's that it was hard to kind of feel comfortable even talking about that that was an issue because I mean what I'm doing is beyond anything I would have ever dreamed of and this is kind of also part of it strangely enough mm-hmm. so it's it's that moment you know it's 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 I I think I'm still trying to get used to it the good the good thing is that I've seen I've been working with some amazing both filmmakers and actors and people in this industry who seem like they have a they have a good way of having um, if some uh, yeah talking about this sometimes when you say oh I, I I just have a normal life but that's what you kind of when you wake up in the morning and you meet your friends that still is right. the same um, and then of course going out in the world and doing the, the work and go to these parties is something that I've never done before and that to me still feels very foreign but also extremely wonderful. So I would guess though that your parents and your friends and your people that you know of, and, and you yourself should probably feel very proud of where things have ended up so far, right? The coolest thing is to be able to kind of experience things with your family yeah. and friends. Yeah. Like, my, you know, um, I have my brother just here now. He came a few days ago with me, and he's never been to the States. Um, so that was, you know, cool. Just take him on a trip, and we went to... Uh, so so, so, so that, that's, that's also when... Because this job, a lot of the time, especially in the beginning, when I didn't know so many people, it's very lonely. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you also felt like it was so many, um, like 
stories or experience that was beyond anything I could have thought or didn't really know what it was. But I, I kind of turned my head everywhere, <laughs> looking for someone that I could like freak out with right, right. or talk to, and like, oh my god, right, right, you know right. what's happening? And then you were kind of by yourself on a lot of journey, traveling and hotel rooms and and work, and and that was. Um, I think it was also a big fear when I went that my my friends and people that they were just gonna for weird thing to say, but I guess that's like the biggest fear for people of being lonely of mm -hmm. being like I'm gonna go away and do this, but will everything back home be the same because you kind of want that mm -hmm. base I think um, and and they were so sweet and said of, of course things are not and then after one two years, I kind of realized that um you can go back to Sweden or to London and my f my friends and my people are that, that that's still intact and still the same well thank you so much for doing this and it's been fun getting to cross paths yeah. over the season thank and you it's always fun making these longer interviews yes. have a little chat well, I really appreciate it thank you <laughs> thank you Take